When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Einen wunderschönen guten Morgen, Ilmena. Heute Nachmittag kommt die Deutschland-Tour zu uns und deswegen sind sämtliche Straßen in der Stadtmitte gesperrt bis Mitternacht. Zurzeit zwischen Bucher und jene Göschwitz ist der rechte Fahrstreifen gesperrt auf der A4. Es gibt Gefahr durch einen defekten LKW auf dem Standstreifen. Bitte fahren Sie besonders vorsichtig. Jetzt ist es 6.35 Uhr. Boney M. nun und By the Rivers of Babylon. Good morning, Ned. Well, you say that. You don't seem very good this morning, Ned. No, well, I I suppose it's because I've never done a bike race on the road in Germany before, and certainly not one that necessitated getting up at a sparrow's fart every morning to talk to you on this podcast. But um, I've only just, over the last two days since we've been doing this, um, made the now grim but certain realisation that... <laughs> Uh, German hotel rooms are not equipped with kettles. Uh. So once again, I'm doing this uh, without any tea. I will pour myself. Uh, you a know, coffee. normally so all throughout the Giro. Yeah, are you just pouring something. You just pouring yourself a coffee in front of me. Wow. Yeah, literally, aren't you? I just did. Um, I remember once. Why didn't you? Just I remember once hi hi hitchhiking, David, from when I was. Ah, oh, 19. A friend of mine was studying at the Sorbonne in Paris and I went to visit him. And um, at the time I was, I was, uh, I can't remember what I was doing. Oh yeah, I was doing a sort of year out at university in, in Germany. But anyway, it was back in the day, long before cash point machines mm. really existed. And the only way I could get my money out of my German bank account was um, to go to a bank in person. Mm. That's not strictly relevant for this story. But anyway, um, what I want to say, is, so I went to visit my friend in the, in, the, in the Sorbonne and we went out for a Chinese meal in the 13th arrondissement in Paris. And um, it got quite late. And at around about midnight, we decided it would be quite a good idea to go um, and hitchhike to go and see our friend in Nancy. Oh, God. <laughs> Which is what? 400 yeah. kilometers away or something? Not close. Um, so we started at midnight and we got on the metro as far and we we went out to as far east as we could possibly go on the metro and then just got out on the end station and then tried to find tried to find the main road that led to the motorway Surely by this that led to by North this point you must have realized you'd made a terrible mistake no not yet that was still to come um needless to say we didn't get that far that night and we ended up in one of those bits of france that you and me never know, really know where we are you know mm. Um, uh, one of those kind of anonymous bits of France and uh, so tired we got a couple of lifts so it didn't get very far and we ended up so tired that we jumped over a hedge and uh, just fell asleep in what we thought was someone's uh, nicely manicured front garden <laughs> only to be shaken awake at dawn by a gendarme uh, 
because uh, we'd broken into the front garden of a police station. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably he probably arrested us both for vagrancy oh, and took what? us into his took us into his little police station and and do you know what he asked for our documents which we had with us and uh and he was he then went behind his counter and we were shivering with cold and wet at this point as well and um and tiredness and all the rest of it and he started to write out our details um and fill out his paperwork very very slowly while all the while making himself and pouring himself a cup of coffee that he quite obdurately refused <laughs> to offer us or share with us at all so basically you what you've just done to me has brought horrible flashback memories oh, you're welcome <laughs> wow look at that, that yeah that's proper so it's yeah. like the madeleine a Madeleine moment. It's a Madeleine moment. I just had an unpleasant Madeleine moment. But isn't it strange, David, that... So in the UK, for whatever reason, I don't know why, maybe just because of the tea drinking thing, but every single hotel room, doesn't matter how good or bad it is, has a kettle in it. Yeah, it's true, actually. Um, yeah. In France, I'd say probably 30%. Yeah, I'd say it's very maybe accurate. Less. Yeah, around 30. Italy, Italy a similar ratio. Particularly um, the negative side of 30, I'd say. Which is why when I did the Giro, I had to buy myself a kettle mm. uh, to go around the Giro, because it was a th after a three-week stage race that I then left in Milan. If anyone wants it, there's a kettle somewhere near the um, Piazza del Duomo. But you had such, um, such rose-tinted memories and such a rose-tinted romantic idea of Germany, you forgot they don't drink tea. Well, yeah, they yeah, they, they kind of do have a tea drinking tradition up in the north in Friesland. But I'm a long, long way from Friesland mm. right now. Um, they do have, yeah, a, they do have a tea drinking tradition there. And they did used to import tea back in the day into northern Germany. I mean, but you're right. And, and do, you know, hey, is dream. A, a, another one, I bet it's quite tricky to get a kettle as well. What do you mean? I don't know. Why don't you just go and buy a kettle? You've had three days to realise. Well, this. it's an only, only a four. It's a it's a four. It's a four stage stage race, but isn't it? It's going to be like twenty I'm, I'm twenty euros through. for a cheap kettle. So, yeah, I know. But I mean, is, but is, I've is left it worth it? If I'd gone in, well, okay. So break that down. Twenty euros. If I'd done it at the beginning of Nevestre's Farad, that four. would have been a five euro investment yeah. per episode, which I'm sure Melinda Apples would have. Yeah. footed the bill for wouldn't they they'd, 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 I mean, if I'd submitted an expenses claim of five euros for a, essentially of a cup course. of tea yes. to get me they going know. every it's, day it's, it's work it's subsistence it's subsistence away from home or whatever yeah. technical phrases um, but it feels a bit late now because it would be it would be a 20 euro kettle then 10 euros but 10 euros for the remaining two days how much would you pay for a cup of tea right now six Sick. Doesn't stack up. Doesn't stack up. Also, also, oh, I see. After this, yeah, a kettle. I'd then have to buy the tea as well, and a cup. You could take the tea back. Quite with investment. You can cut back. You had a nice cup, a souvenir cup. Yeah, I could get a Deutschland tour. That would be a bonus because you wouldn't have thought about buying. You like little kitsch souvenirs, and you wouldn't have bought one yeah, probably on this trip. But this whole episode no, might oblige you force you provoke you to actually buy a souvenir cup to support yeah. your your tea needs all right well I'll and then you'll have a, have a memory actually. that will stick with you forever 
and you just occasionally just feels... get a flicker of a glance of it on a shelf at home, you remember these magical four days of the Deutschland tour in 2021. All because right. you wanted yeah. a tea. Yeah. There you go. Hey, David, I am in Arnstadt. Um, that's where I am. That's uh, not where today's stage finishes. <clears throat> today's stage finishes in Ilmenau, which is a 30-minute drive down the road, so I've got to get there. Um, oh, I can't believe you're just <laughs> drinking away from your little cup. It's got your name on it as well, David. <laughs> um, but guess who lives? Or, no, well, he's moved now to the Bordensee. Uh, near the Bordensee and in fact he's about to move he told me yesterday um, he's about to move to be with his um, parents-in-law in the Netherlands maybe that's a hint the hair guess who, guess who grew up in Arnstadt Marcel Kittel and who I was speaking yes you're absolutely right yes you're absolutely right um, how is he who sent he's incredibly well yeah. and he said to say hello to you that's nice because I said we're doing a podcast every day. I'll see if he might. I might be able to Hi, get, get get a little get a little interview with him at some point. Actually, but yeah, yeah, he's really well. He's just had his second kid oh, three months ago, so he's got. A, I think he's got a two-year-old, three-year-old, and now three-month-old. Oh, that's lovely, ba- baby. Three is the magic and, um, number. Three is the magic. Yeah, but he's only got two kids. Oh, I thought you said three. But then I no. I see he's got he's got three-year-old. To your oh, or t- sorry, no, I went. Sorry, yes, I was a bit, a bit ambiguous. I was guessing at the child's age, not adding an additional oh, child. Three-year-old, two-year-old, two-year-old. Okay, no, sorry, that was confusing. I'm well, three confused. saw the magic number. But then I found myself. Do you ever find yourself saying things that suddenly appear um, slightly overly familiar or overly personal? Well, um, because he, he said, "You do, yeah." <laughs> like on a Norwegian <laughs> island. He, Maybe it was a bit of a John John Dayton moment because I he said he said uh, you know I said how many kids have you got now and he said I've got I've got two that we just had the second one uh, three months ago and I said congratulations and then I just found myself saying straight out I said so you're going to stop now <laughs> and he just looked at me like that's quite a direct question and then I went oh, and then I kind of like covered up and went well of course it's up to you isn't it you know don't let, don't let me. Don't let me. Don't let me I don't influence. want to influence you or anything, Marcel. <laughs> don't, don't let me. I'm just I mean, saying, might, two worked well he for might me. Go home, he might go home to Tess at, at the end of this this gig and say, "I was just thinking about the future, and you know, it all came clear to me in a drizzly car park in Schwerin that maybe maybe we should stop at two. And she might say, "But we were planning five, Marcel. <laughs> yeah, I know, but." There's this English. There's this English commentator who seems to think that <laughs> Ned Bolting adding the to the depopulation of Germany, <laughs> one person at a time. <laughs> uh, brilliant. So, how was the race yeah, anyway? Yeah. It was good yesterday. It was. It was good. It wasn't um, quite as brilliant as I thought it was going to be because it was horrible weather conditions mm. and. Uh, it's a 190 kilometer stage, and for the first half of the race that we didn't see. Um, because we only get partial coverage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, old school. But um, for the first half of the race, the race went along the Baltic coast and was exposed to a really strong northerly wind. I mean, this whole of northern Germany is like, honestly, I was looking at my car's thermometer yesterday as we were driving, in the, as I drove in the pouring rain down to Thuringen in the south of Germany, and it didn't get above 12, oh, 13 degrees. Yeah, it's really like just the wind has been blowing from the north now for days and days, and it's wet and cold. Tough conditions. Um, Cavendish, Mark Cavendish crashed. Um, we didn't see the crash, but we got a picture of the aftermath. 
Um, he got back on okay, and he seemed to be moving all right on, on the bike. But um, there were six riders up the road, all domestic riders. Uh, none of the twins, unfortunately, that we were talking about yesterday, they didn't get up the road. But one or two kind of in- interesting interesting riders, including uh, two um, policemen riding for different teams, which I thought was quite interesting. That's quite interesting. 20-year-old Henri Ulich, who is, uh, has just completed his training with the Bavarian State Police and is on an eight-month sabbatical. Uh, he was in the breakaway. And so, too, was uh, a local man to this region that I find myself in now, Robert Jägerle, who claimed the first King of the Mountains of the day. He's a qualified police officer with the Thüringen uh, Police. What's the score? Do the police kind of have a um, a a program that allows athletes to, to do this? Because Tony Martin was a policeman as well, wasn't he? Tony Martin, I think with the Thüringen Landespolizei, um, just like uh, Robert Jägerle. Yes, they do. They have a they have a tradition again. Not floating this fact slightly, but I think it's I think it goes back to we were talking about the East German traditions mm. of uh, you know supporting uh, supporting riders, particularly you know uh, sorry sportsmen, particularly bike riders through their sporting career. So they, they yeah they do they give them very favourable terms. They give them essentially a kind of stipend or a grant. They tr- they do get trained as police officers, but actually they work as professional bike racers. That's very cool. You know? So it's it's a very interesting situation. Um, um, good. And then there was then there was the other rider of note uh, yesterday who was in the breakaway was uh, Jon uh, Knolle, who's just twenty one years of age from the SKS Zauerland team. And um, I just noted when I was looking into who what he was all about. Um, that last April in lockdown, he recorded a on Strava a solo training ride of 400 kilometers that uh that he completed in 13 hours 59 minutes in april 2020 that's lachlan morton-esque it was a bit yeah. yeah um but anyway none of them made it made it to the finish line and there was a chaotic bunch sprint of sorts but i noted quite early on when i was commentating that um shane archbold was the Dukernik Quickstep rider who was doing a lot of work on the front along with the other sprinters team, Sporter Hanskar. And I thought, oh, okay. So Cavendish is not going to sprint today, I guess. Because normally Archbold, I guess, given the line, the team lineup that they had, would have been his, his last lead out. Uh, yeah. And I, and I, so I sort of re, I read the tea leaves <laughs> to go back to that theme a little bit. And I thought, I wonder whether that means Cavendish has kind of scrubbed it off today. Because you, you, you wouldn't expect a lead out man to no, do any work on no, the front at all. all they'd be protected um and in the end to Koenig quickstep along with a, a couple of the other teams actually got on a furious tactical con- con- uh, confusion it was a scrappy running there was a big crash um towards the in the final couple of kilometers that scrubbed off half the peloton um and uh, created a big gap in the middle and then the remaining um sprinters uh the only sort of complete lead out train with the right men in the right places and the right sprinter in the you know in the right condition was Border Hansgrohe and Pascal Ackerman and the other two sort of big teams Bahrain Victorious who have Phil Bauhaus there and their lead out man Marco Haller and the remaining three riders from De Koenig Quickstep including Yves Lamparts who I think I spoke about yesterday as being a, a potential GC winner of the race overall um, they also had Yannick Steimler who's this German kind of one day racer but he's got a real vicious kick on him as well and i think they couldn't quite figure out what to do next in terms of replacing cavendish 
what to go for to try and work for Lampard, who's probably not quite as quick as Steimler. But if he picks up some bonus seconds by finishing third, that's a good result for them. So they got into a slight tactical confusion, I think. And I'm not sure what the... And the but they had Remy Cavagna doing a big Cavagna shift on the front. And similarly, Bahrain victorious, Marco Haller appeared to lose Phil Bauhaus in the confusion of the last 600 metres or so. And I think Haller just said, right, I'll have to sprint. I'll have to sprint then. Hmm. Uh, not really realising that Bauhaus had recovered his position. And actually, if Haller had just seen him there and made the decision earlier to just, you know, yeah. work as a, as a lead out for Bauhaus, who ultimately finished second, I think they could have run Ackerman a little bit closer than they did. Yeah, it's a weird top five. You've got Ackerman, then you've got the two Bahrain victorious riders, then the two Dakoni Quickstep riders. Eve Lampard and Ford. Yeah. yeah it it reminded sound. me a little bit of that that stage of the tour, David, when Alperson Fenix early on. But they're too up. Kind of, they kind of tried to work for both Malia and Philipson. And in so the end, can only be one winner, Ned. There can only be one winner. There can only be one so winner. That's, um, that's that. And then we all then we all jumped in our, our various different vehicles. And even the riders had an enormous transfer what yesterday. Bus, I nightmare. started overtaking some of the team cars as it grew dark. You know, I don't think. A lot of the teams, they wouldn't have got to dinner That's or for the massage until gone nine o'clock. That's probably one of the reasons that Mark wasn't going to sprint. Because he wouldn't want to, he would just like spite the race for putting a transfer in that long. Yeah. He'd be like, you know yeah, what, I'm happy. not going to win, I don't want to good control, I don't want to give them all the, the press when they're going to make us do 500 Ks after the race. That happens, yeah. you know. Does it really? Mm-hmm. You say, bugger them, I'm just going to sit on the back, do nothing. Yeah. There's a lot of moaning about race organisers that goes on, isn't there? Oh, right, just there's a lot of moaning full stop, isn't it? It's just hard being a pro cyclist. You've got to moan. It's it's a funny yeah. one because everyone's about that sort of American positive mental attitude and you go to Peloton, it's just, it's just radiates negativity. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's just everyone's just complaining about everything. But my favourite is Dan Martin. You know that. You're always getting complaint messages from Dan Martin. Well, the funny thing about Crosswinds is you'll message him just... Um, apropos of nothing other than just to say hello or just to catch up motorbikes and, and just comes out you'll nowhere. just get you'll just get you just get a litany of complaints about um you know race organizations and transfers that will come back i love it <laughs> good old crosswinds but yeah that's pretty but were you were you quite phlegmatic about all of that side of it Did uh, you just, depends it i would swing from being phlegmatic or an absolute prima donna it was there was no in between <laughs> <laughs> actually no knowing you as i do i can i can take that at face value. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's either imagine. one side or the other i'm either totally indifferent or way too invested yeah um the problem is with you know even working our side of the fence david even even doing the job that we do when we're on the road is that you know that the travel the distances the hours it's like someone it's like someone just f- Flicking your forehead, isn't it? Oh, like totally every day, totally. flick, flick, just flicking you in the forehead, just yeah. ping, ping, and then you can take it sort of five times, and then the sixth time, it's just, would you stop now? <laughs> that's stage racing. Stop doing that. <laughs> just all over. That's just that's wearing you down, racing. but psychologically. But they've done it on the Deutschland tour, in my opinion, slightly unnecessary. <laughs> after stage one, <laughs> they've broken, they've broken the race. But that's probably one. also because we were talking about this yesterday when you got a race in a country that isn't necessarily a cycling nation. They probably found it quite hard to find cities or regions that would have the race. So they had to break it up a bit, you know, so probably. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 
I think that's probably true. I mean, I, I don't know the first thing about the way this race is funded, but but I, I I would imagine I would imagine you're right. And I and I, you know, knowing Germany a little bit, this was you know this race was cancelled pretty much straight away mm. during COVID last year. Um, they didn't hesitate. They just well in 110 went, uh, years they've had 33 editions. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's flake. It's resistance is a little bit flake. But I also think I also think you know. I also think COVID-wise and coronavirus-wise, I think that uh, you know it's a it's a big ask to get. That, that Germany's only just feeling like so many other countries in its own way. It's feeling its way back to uh, in inverted commas normality. Do you know what's mm. quite interesting? Actually, just this is straying slightly into epidemiology and um, COVID and all that sort of thing, David. Mm. But um, what I find quite interesting about and markedly different from the UK about Germany's approach to. Um, uh, immunization, which they've caught up with the UK. I mean, if not overtaken them now, I mean, they're very much kind of like got quite a, quite a strongly Im- Im- immunized population, but they also have this whole thing about, so Hamburg is just about to change its um, regulations about eating indoors and meeting in larger numbers and all this sort of thing, but it's only making those things open to people who are either, they call it the 2G approach, right? And there's two German words. One is geimpft, which means um, vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And the other one is genesin, which means recovered. So if you can document, if you can prove that you've had coronavirus and your doctor will testify to that and that you have recovered with sufficient time, uh, you know, having elapsed, you have a certificate to say, I have recovered from COVID-19. So, and that, so essentially um, saying you're self equivalent to a vaccination. So essentially yeah. acknowledging that self-immunization. Huh. Yeah, it's weird, that, isn't it? Because that's a totally different approach to, I don't know what they're doing yeah, in Spain, it's, it's but not in even, Germany. That, it's not even proven yet, is it? So, but it's, No, well, yeah. family member of mine's caught it twice. Yeah, there you go. So um, that's an odd one. Seems a bit um, unusual. Should we have a break, Ned? Um, well, y- yeah, but I just wanted to, can, just before we have a break, David, just before we have a, oh, let's have a break now. You're right. You're right. Let's have a break. Let's have one of these commercial breaks. That's a commercial break. Let's go. Oh, it sounds like, sounds like this. We interrupt this episode of Never Stray's uh, Ross. Which one is it? Can confirm it's Farad. We interrupt this episode of Never Stray's Farad for an advertorial screenplay. And I'm joined by Ross Bernard, who works with me at Chapter 3 and also with Harry at The Roadbook. Go ahead, Ross. We find our protagonists recording remotely. One sat... Ross, you don't need to read the stage directions. All right, yeah. <clears throat> As a listener to Never Strays Far, you can get 20% off on chapter3.com or theroadbook.co.uk by using the code NSF at checkout. That's N-S-F. Not only that, but we have a grand prize arranged for the end of the tour of Britain. It's worth well over £1,000 and we'll be releasing full details on how to enter very soon. But for now, we can reveal the first part of that prize. David, I have good news. With Lacquer, you won't have to fling your bike off the side of a road in frustration next time you have an accident or a mechanical. Let's not get into bike flinging. Lacquer are here to make sure you're covered every time you go for a ride. Their collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. Our grand prize winner will receive £200 worth of their unbeatable coverage. With no more fixed up front premiums, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. 
And when the proverbial does hit the fan, lack has got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, which is something I can personally attest to. They've ditched annual contracts locking you in. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can anytime. So head to Lacquer.co, that's L-A-K-A dot C-O, for more from them and make sure to tune into Never Strays Far over the next few days to find out how to enter our grand prize draw. Thank you, Ross. Now, back to the show. David, um, before we leave Germany alone, um, just sort of changing the mood somewhat, I just wanted you to know that on today's stage, the race goes from, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the stage start, sorry, it's too early in the morning. Um, just leafing through my roadbook now. The stage starts in, oh mate, this is embarrassing. Oh, sorry, Zangerhausen. And finishes in Ilmenau. So it starts in Sachsen-Anhalt and finishes in Thüringen, Ilmenau. 180.6 uh, kilometers long. Um, just as it goes past Erfurt, it um, passes through Weimar, which um, you'll know from the Weimar Republic. It used to be the capital of the Weimar Republic and also the center of German cultural life in the late 19th century and the early 20th century. Um, there is a There is a book by... Uh, Vladimir Nabokov, called Professor Pnin, um, which is uh, the story of a, um, a a Jewish professor who has survived the Holocaust and uh, emigrated to uh, America. But in his recollections throughout the book, um, he talks about how his um, his wife was taken from him and sent to the concentration camp in Weimar called Buchenwald, and um injected with a lethal injection oh, into God. her heart and, and and what when he when he remembers his wife's murder um it, it, one of the things that upsets him you know greatly every time he remembers it is that weimar um and so Pnin is a, a is a professor of literature and loves culture loves german culture is in love with german culture and um that weimar is the seat of that particular epoch in german culture mm. and for the nazis to have constructed a concentration camp in Weimar, essentially, or just on the hill, uh, the Ettersberg Hill outside Weimar, Weimar is a is a kind of insult on top of the atrocity, mm. you know. Yeah. So it's cult, it's cultural murder as well as actual mm. murder, you know. Mm. Um, and I and the reason I'm mentioning this is because normally I, I probably wouldn't have mentioned it in the context of a bike race, right? Except for the fact that um, the Deutschland Tour, if you go to its official website has acknowledged the um, contribution and welcomed the contribution of the um, Buchenwald Concentration Camp uh, Visitor Centre, I suppose is what you would call it now, the people who administer the Buchen and ed try and educate and keep alive the memories mm. of those who died in Buchenwald. Right. They have noted, Buchenwald itself has noted that um, the bike race is coming through Weimar, where uh, there's an intermediate sprint today, and has been posting... Um, on their on their websites over the last few days, um, very brief potted biographies of s what they can glean from looking through their their archives of um, bike racers who died in Buchenwald or have a connection with Buchenwald. Wow! So in that spirit, um, uh, uh, his three: Franz Holtag died at twenty five. He was a Belgian from near Antwerp. He rode in nineteen forty four. Uh, for the French team Alcyon, the famous French team. Uh, he was arrested 
1944 uh, by the Gestapo and taken to Buchenwald and died in 1945. Uh, Alfred uh, Mottard started the 1920 Tour de France but failed actually to even complete stage one. Uh, he had to climb off. That was the high point in his career. But he carried on racing throughout the 1920s while running a bike shop in Namur and also working as a welder and a taxi driver. He was imprisoned as a political prisoner in Belgium during the war after being arrested by the Gestapo and then eventually transferred to Buchenwald. And he too was murdered in January 1945. Um, and finally, Alfred Salomon. This is a very different story. Uh, Alfred Salomon sounds the most remarkable man. He was born in Bochum in uh, the west of Germany. And he was a very keen uh, uh, racing cyclist for the local uh, race, uh, race cycling club. In 1933, though, the Nazis passed a law saying that Jews should be excluded from all sporting activities, including cycling clubs. Um, but Zalamon continued to race for the next couple of years under um, assumed names and fake identity. Um, that became too dangerous for him in 1935. And in 1938, uh, there was a pogrom in Bochum and he fled for his life to Berlin. Uh, shortly after that, he was arrested and he was sent to Auschwitz, where his wife was murdered on arrival in 1943. He was put to work and eventually transferred to Buchenwald in Weimar. Uh, he survived the war, remained in Germany, returned to Bochum, where he continued to work um, on an amateur basis uh, for cycling clubs and to promote the sport of cycling. And he died at the age of 94 in 2013. Wow. <laughs> There's a remarkable story. That is. Um, you know, you, you spoke yesterday about how the, in, in, there were three editions of the Deutschland Tour under the Nazi government. And the first of those three was in 1937. Um, it was 12 stages long. There were only 68 riders in the peloton. And stage three of that race passed through Weimar on a stage from Chemnitz to Erfurt. And just uh, just five weeks after the race had, had passed through, this is in 1937, the Buchenwald concentration camp opened its gates to the first 149 inmates. Oh. So that is uh, one of those things that bike races yeah. does, David. And, you know, for all our fun and games about Mecklenburg, Vorpommern and castles and stuff, this is real life that you're dealing with mm. here as well. Yeah, that is part of the importance of... Of these tours, it does. Um, it's it's, it's remarkable that it, that they are. They've made the decision to remember it like that. Germany is quite remarkable like that. They, you know, in in Spain, there's the La Silencia because of after the civil war and the the Franco period, and it's um that was their way of 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 dealing with it. It's the Germans have taken a totally different trait and a totally different way of doing it. And it's, um, yeah, can't be easy. No, I think, it, it, I think very much think that's the case. Mm -hmm. um, talking of Spain. Yes. I was commentating and I, I, I just finished. I had to commentate over all the podium presentations and all the jerseys. And only then could I stop commentating yesterday, that, as we tend to do on world feed commentary. And then I switched on my GCN Eurosport app to catch the final three kilometers of yesterday's welter stage that was won by um magnus court magnus court. i watched the last 20 k's oh brilliant what happened 
Well, I was watching it because we were in the Chapter 3 studio in Girona and Vitor, you know, who does our brilliant artwork, um, had in his second screen the Vuelta. And I was like, oh, uh, I was like, it's Cordoba today. And I was like, I won there in 2003. And so we were across and we put it on the big screen. And it was um, it was really cool. It was a different finish to when I did it. But it's um, it's a classic finish at the Vuelta where it goes over this 6K climb and then drops down into Cordoba. And there was a lot of action. Bardet was looking good, like a group of four riders were, were attacking off the front. And they looked like they had it. And I thought they had because I didn't realize the run-in had this quite about 8Ks of flat, contrary to when I did it, when it was about a K of flat at the finish. And um, But it, they had about 37 seconds over the top, which I thought was a done deal. But then uh, Bike Exchange were all in. And they started to bring them back. And and Bike Exchange did a brilliant job for Michael Matthews. But in yeah. the, the death, they just got it completely wrong. And it was Magnus Corsa. I'm not sure who his lead-out man was, but he did it perfectly. Jumps them with like 400, 500 meters to go. And n- nobody had even thought of Magnus Court, you know, because he's been kind of going for those summit finishes. And he's we know he's got a sprint on him. And there's a group of about 30 riders, 35 riders. But it's a rider that's clearly just on fire at the moment. And he did it perfectly and got, got the win after his disappointment to the previous day where he got caught out, what you were describing. So it goes to show there's just the Amazing, scintillating yeah. form he's on. But yeah. He's like the, he's like the Wout Van Aert of this Welter, isn't he? He is, isn't he? Yeah, he's like a, it's like a, a mini Wout. Doing it on all terrains, yeah. backing up day after day. Yeah. So how did, how did Bike Exchange mess it up? I, I caught a glimpse of a gap opening up in front of Matthews mm. or a rider pulling out in front of him. Was that... Yeah, they burnt up. Or, or? They kind of used up their whole team. They had a, a lot of riders, maybe seven riders there on the kind of running in a group of 35. And they did an amazing chase, but it was one of those ones where they just ran out. Matthews with a better cage going, had one rider in front of him. And then it sort of stalled a bit. They did a great job, but and normally it would have been okay, but Matthews probably should have dropped back. So it was a mis- little bit of a mistake from Matthews because he was just out right at the front. And so the sprint came from behind. And, um, but yeah, they, Magnus Court can thank bike exchange for doing it but it's often the way that happens isn't it poor michael poor bling yeah it's been a, has it been a while since he's won i think it has been it feels like yeah. he's feels like he's been nearly nearly but not quite for for i went you know i did then while. later that because i've never actually watched that stage back when i won um so that's the, how did it how did it look joys of, that's what's so cool isn't it that you can just go on youtube and find almost everything and yeah. i found it and i was like so it was the the greatest descent of my life. I remember that. And I'd always thought, oh, I must try and track that down one day. And I found it and I put it on Instagram because I was like, holy, because it actually looks really fast. I remember because I came over the top of the climb, I'd attacked the bunch at the bottom. It had been a hellish day, like crosswinds strung out. And I attacked right at the bottom of Cordoba and about four or five of us went and I dropped them with about three Ks from the summit because I knew if I could just get a little gap, like a handful of seconds over the top, I could do the descent and, and, and smash it. Um, what kind of David? What, 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 who's in that group? What kind of riders? Can you got any names? I can't remember. So I can, nostalgia. No, I mean the climbers mainly. Valverde. No, no Valverde. Yeah. Everywhere <laughs> he was somewhere, but uh, no, I can't remember. But it was Zabo won the sprint behind. I remember that. But um, three or four riders who were kind of climby guys. That's why I knew I could just get, get rid of them yeah. on the descent. But yeah, and I watched back, and it was amazing. So I can still remember to this day going down that descent, and I had moments where both wheels were sliding around the corners because we were using the tech was a bit different and I had these Campagnolo Bora carbon wheels and nobody wanted to use them in the team because they were new you know cyclists can be a bit kind of well were back then and they didn't yeah. the braking wasn't quite as good because we didn't have the tech that matched the, the brake pads and that could go with the rims and they were super stiff and we weren't 
at that point we weren't used to super stiff wheels we had kind of quite flexy wheels which meant that you got a little bit of give on corners but this and we were running like 23 mil tires at too high pressure now you'd never ride 23 mils and you'd ride slightly lower pressure and so you'd go around the corners and it would just be skipping but it was it meant that on the straights and stuff you could just go so fast compared to everybody else but it was like one of those ones where it was sapas or sacas it was kind of just go for it and it was those and it's amazing when you have a day like that and even looking back now and even when i was doing it i thought i'm never going to go this fast in a descent ever again and it's and I, look, I watched back and I was I had goosebumps. I could remember it vividly. And I was like, oh, that's, I loved that day. It was just one of those ones where it was just, you were in complete flow, like in that absolute perfect state where you just felt everything down to the teeniest, tiniest bit. So it wasn't even scary when both wheels were sliding and jumping around. It was just, you just knew it was good. It was happening. So yeah, that was a nice memory. It was a, it was good Very to do that. Cool. I don't often do that. Go and look, watch something back. I never do actually. So that was nice. Very good. Did you get a ham or a cheese hat. or a pair of clogs? Yeah, you got a hat. hat. I got a Cordoba kind of flats black hat with a yeah, Wicked. yeah. Another thing that got Very lost good. in a team truck somewhere. Oh yeah, well, it's all right. I can live with it. All right. Very good. Very and, good. Uh, oh, just, just one, one, one. Um, yeah, go on. Remco. Oh yes, yeah. We've got. Oh, and Matt, Matt Walls. Did you know about Matt? Oh, Walls? No, what did Matt do? He, well, he won the final stage of the uh, Tour of Norway. Did he? Uh, you know, just a couple of weeks oh, after what? doing the Omnium. How good in, is uh, he? In, yeah. Who was second? Yeah. yeah, but Remco. Remco, David. What did Remco do? Well, Something crazy? It was like one of those um, semi-Belgian classics. And he attacked, Over and he attacked with 60 kilometers to go on his own. Oh, I didn't know it was 60. 60. But wait, it gets better. My dog's trying to get through my gate. Um it, Hello, Guinness. Guinness. It is. It's Guinness. I've just been watching him, just stealing my shoes. As I well. can hear that. That's yeah. Guinness. I can't see oh, Guinness. I can hear the Guinness oh, he's wine. Frantic. He's just. He's realised yeah. people are up and about. Um, uh, you can, they can sense me. But wait, this is this is mate. <laughs> this is classic Remco. So sixty k's yeah. to go attacks, and then about twenty k's into that attack or thirty k's, it, they have to stop the race because of some a fire or something. So this, he only had thirty five seconds at the time. So bring it all back together, and apparently mm-hmm. he was just cool as a cucumber, just stood there. Like the whole bunch is back. What together. they put him like they put him back in the group. Well, everything the whole race just stopped, and he was with everyone. I guess they kept him like fifteen meters ahead, and then once the race well, starts yeah. again, they just start the stopwatch. So it's like a standing start. Yeah. So thirty-five seconds. Okay, go. Oh, see. So okay, even then he just apparently just stood there, cool as a cucumber, like, and then just waited, and then they set him off again, and he took the gap out even bigger. Oh my god! What a freak! So yeah, yeah. Remco's back. That's special. I wonder what I wonder what he's going to do next year. Be so interesting. Oh, it's going to be so that. exciting, isn't it? Well, actually, I say next year. What about this Worlds. year? If he's riding like that, what about what about the world? Oh, it's Remco, world champion. Come on, Remco. What about what about Parry Roubaix? Come on, Remco. Come on, Remco. Quite no, Parry Roubaix can't. Although, he's, he's not very good at bike handling. Well, he isn't, is he? But I wonder what well, his cobbly nah, pedigree is. No, nah, not. <laughs> not in the evidence of the gravel in Italy, right? Maybe I mean, it's, it's different. different things, though, I mean, it? it might be okay. I mean, he's just so strong. He could just sit on the top of the... Yeah. It'd be perfect. Just a long solo breakaway on his own out the front. It's like, mm. Harry, Very interesting. Yeah, could be really cool. Very interesting. Um, so, what, so what are you doing today, apart from letting the dog um, in? Going to tidy up my office. I've got to finish for product catalogue for Chapter 3 and price list and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, do some other bits and bobs. Uh, quite a lot of chapter three stuff at the moment, actually. I'm quite busy, Ned. All right. Work. Fair month. enough. Okay. Yeah. 
I'll speak to you tomorrow morning, yeah. shall I? Bye, Ned. With or without a kettle. Yeah. Okay, right, see you, bye. bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 